Thanks for tuning in to High Point Assembly's podcast, where you're going to hear a life-giving message that we hope will encourage you no matter where you are in your walk with Christ. Check out our website at highpointassembly.org for more podcasts, information, and how to join us live in person or online every Sunday. We hope this message blesses you wherever you may be listening from. And remember, no matter where you're at, you belong. This morning, uh, we're going to continue in our series that we've titled Strange Days which is from the often un, old, unread Old Testament book of Habakkuk near the end of the Old Testament. The motivation for doing this series is because just like Habakkuk was living in some strange days, we too in the 21st century are living in some strange days as well. In preparation, why don't you go ahead and turn to the book of Habakkuk and we will be getting to back to that shortly. But while you're doing that, let me give you a brief overview to kind of catch you up to speed in the event that you weren't with us last week. Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets of the Old Testament. He is uh, not considered minor because of the content or the message of his book, but because of the size of the book. It only contains three chapters with a total of 56 verses. The book was written somewhere around 605 BC after the death of King Josiah and right about the time and right before the people of Judah's world caved in. You know, when you look at the scriptures and you look at the history of the children of Israel, it's very much like a roller coaster ride. Up one day and down the next. Uh, there would be seasons of great devotion to God that, that, where they were very prosperous, followed by seasons of corruption and great distancing from God, depending on the king who was ruling. Well, King Josiah was one of the good kings that ruled. But after his death, the nation of Judah predictably plunged headlong back into a cesspool of corruption. They were dealing with immorality and idolatry, and uh, Judah seemed headed for complete destruction. And so as he sees all of this terrible decline going on in Judah, Habakkuk prays for God to do something. Have you ever been there? <laughs> Have you ever prayed, God, do something in this situation? Well, Habakkuk does, and he's, and he's hoping that God will send another good king to rule over Judah. But he's shocked to learn that God is going to judge Judah's sin via the nation of Babylon. Babylon that was led by King Nebuchadnezzar. They were the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. At that time, they were ruthless, they were evil, and they were greedy for more. They took what they wanted. They killed whoever they wanted in order to get what they wanted. Needless to say, the Babylonians were greatly feared and greatly hated by the Jews and everyone else for that matter. So when God revealed that he would judge Judah through the Babylonians, it was an inconceivable idea to Habakkuk. He cannot understand why God would use a nation more corrupt than Judah to be the tool used to judge Judah. So understand as we read Habakkuk, this entire book is a dialogue going on between this man, this prophet Habakkuk, and God. He's trying desperately to wrap his brain around God's solution for some very confusing times and circumstances. And as we looked at it last week, his concerns regarding this disturbing news created many honest questions that he asked of God. And we ended it with him awaiting God's answer and these final words found in Habakkuk chapter 2, verses one, verse 1, where he says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. 
I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. You know, while I was growing up, there was a very predominant statement that I heard made from my father and from other people. It was wisdom that was poured out to me as a boy who was becoming a young man. And the statement was very simple, and it was this. Your choices matter, David. I had that said to me a lot. And we all know this to be true because our lives are shaped by the choices that we make. We make our choices, and ultimately, our choices make us. And as I ponder all of this, I realize that at my age, I am nothing more than a sum total of the choices that I have made throughout my lifetime. I am what I am. I am where I am. I am doing what I am as a result of a multitude of choices that were made over a period of time. And through a lifetime, we all make a tremendous amount of choices. Some are good, some are bad. Either way, they affect us deeply. 20-some years ago, I was sitting in a church service where I watched a young lady being baptized, and I was intrigued. Not just because she was obviously a Christian and publicly identifying with Christ by being baptized, but because I also thought she was beautiful. By the way, her name was Lisa. So after the service, I went to our young adult pastor, Brian Matlock, and I inquired, who's that young lady you just baptized, and would you please introduce her to me one day? And then you know what his first response to me was? He said, good grief, David, let her dry off first. That's <laughs> what he said to me. But then he said he would talk to Lisa, and he would let me know. Well, three months went by, and no answer from Brian. And that bothered me. And because I was an eligible bachelor, and because I thought I was a good catch to boot, I, I could have given up, but I didn't. Finally, I pinned Brian to the wall, and I asked him to introduce me to this beautiful young lady that he had baptized months earlier. Well, finally he did. And I asked her out to lunch after church, and two weeks later I took her out on a date, and the rest is history. And now I've been married to this beautiful woman for 23 years. It's been the best 23 years of my life. It was one of the best choices that I ever made. So understand, our choices are vitally important because we make our choices, and ultimately, our choices make us. And because our choices do matter so much, the Bible has a lot to say about them. Near the end of his life, Moses challenged the people in Deuteronomy 30, 19 by saying this, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. When Joshua was an old man, and nearing his death, he reminded the people of Israel about what God had done for them. He exhorted them with these words in Joshua 24, 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you, land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Many years later, Elijah stood on the top of, the Mount, of Mount Carmel and he addressed the people of Israel this way in 1 Kings 18.21. How long will you waver 
between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And the end result of that ultimate choice is shown in Psalm 1-6 where it says, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Then we have these familiar words from Solomon found in, found in Proverbs 14-12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Finally, we have this solemn warning from Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 through 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. You see, every person is on a life journey that either leads to life or death. Jesus calls it a way. One way is wide and, and it is easy. The other way is narrow. And it's hard, and sometimes it can even be treacherous. And many end up taking the easy way, while few end up taking the hard road. And Jesus is saying to all of us this morning, make sure that you're on the right road. You don't want to end up in a place that you never, ever wanted to be. And that brings me full circle to where I began. Our choices really do matter. And let me say it one more time. We make our choices. And ultimately, our choices make us. Now, never is this more true or more important than when hard times come, when difficulties arise, when life seems to be moving in all directions against us, when trouble and confusion comes our way, you'll find out very quickly what you believe and who you believe in. And that is exactly what is happening to Habakkuk here. He is finding out what he really believes. Because now God brings him face to face with a choice that he must make. And as I said earlier, this little book records a conversation between this man, this prophet of God named Habakkuk and God. In chapter one, they speak to each other. In chapter two, God speaks to Habakkuk. And in chapter three, Habakkuk speaks to God, which we'll see. So as we pick up the story here in chapter two, Habakkuk is a man who is awaiting an answer from God. And God now gives him three instructions. The first thing that God says is to write, W-R-I-T-E. Look at Habakkuk 2, verse 2. Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. The Living Bible puts it this way. I liked it. That's why I wanted to share it with you. Write my answer on a billboard, large and clear so that anyone can read it at a glance and rush to tell others. You see, God wants to make his will clear to us. What God says to Habakkuk is not some secret, and it's, and it's not some coded message designed only for this prophet of God. It's a message for the entire nation. The second thing God says to Habakkuk is to wait. Look at verse 3, chapter 2. For the revelation awaits an appointed time, it speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. One thing that I have learned in my life is that, that God may seem slow, but he's never late. We think he's late and it gets out of our comfort zone because it comes so late, 
but it always comes at the right time. And he never delays things in order to hurt us. He's always an on-time God. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but it seems like when you're praying for something really big in your life, it seems like the answer takes forever to come, doesn't it? We're not the best at being patient with God. We're not. When we're really concerned about something, it seems like we have to wait and wait and wait for the answer. And some people crumble within 24 hours. While a few Christians will last a few days before they begin to sink into deep despair, and some people even get into agnosticism after that point. But right about the time that we start to cry out, where is God? Can't he hear me? It's just about then that suddenly the answer comes our way. You see, God, as I said earlier, wants his will to be made clear. But why does it happen like that? Well, there are many answers, but I suppose chief of them is this. God will not share his glory with anyone. Sometimes he delays his answers so that we cannot say, well, I did that. I, I made that happen. It was my faith and my diligence that made this thing occur. His answers always come in his time, and they always come in his way, and ultimately we can end up saying to God and God alone, be the glory. God is saying to Habakkuk, not today, not even tomorrow, but the answer is on its way. Habakkuk, you need to hold on. You need to, you need to wait for it. He even says it will certainly come. The Babylonians will be judged. They will. And in the end, he says they will be destroyed. You know, God's, God will always balance the scales of justice, ladies and gentlemen. He always does. It may not even happen in your lifetime, but understand, he will do so whether it's on your timeline or not. Remember that the next time you feel like giving up in prayer. Well, the third thing that God says is remember. Look at chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. See, the enemy is puffed up. He's talking about Babylon. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. The he in those verses is a reference to King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And just like God states, historically, Babylon was as greedy as the grave. The empire spread itself in all different directions, conquering cities and towns and provinces and, and ultimately entire nations. Nothing satisfied their appetite for conquest. There was always another nation to subdue another city to overrun, another army to defeat. So in the midst of all of this rampage of terror, what should people of God do? Well, the answer comes at the end of verse 4, where he says, the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Now, I'm reading from the New International Version this morning, but another translation that maybe you're more familiar with goes this way. The just shall live by faith. In Habakkuk chapter 2, God pronounces judgment on the wicked Babylonians. And he does so because they are greedy and arrogant and they are bloodthirsty and they are ruthless. They kill without remorse. They give themselves over to every sort of evil. So God promises that one day he will destroy them. 
But that one day is a long way off. Babylon won't be destroyed for almost 70 more years. In the meantime, they still have a lot of looting left to do, and they will plunder many more nations. Their end is certainly decided, but it's not going to happen for a long time to come. So what do you do when you have to sit back and watch the bad guys steal and kill and behead their enemies? That's a question that could be ripped from today's headlines with terrorism going on in the, in the world. What do you do when evildoers come into power? The just shall live by faith. What do you do when your prayers go unanswered? The just shall live by faith. What do you do when your dreams turn to ashes? The just shall live by faith. When all you see is trouble coming at you from every side, the righteous man remembers that God is still on the throne. And when those dark clouds start to form over top of you, he says to himself, the just shall live by faith. And what's so powerful about that statement is that you'll find it used again three different times in the New Testament. That phrase, the just shall live by faith, is quoted in Romans 1.17, in Galatians 3.11, and in Hebrews 10.38. That little phrase tucked away at the end of verse 4, almost given as a side note, became the hallmark of the Christian gospel for the Apostle Paul. And for the great reformer Martin Luther, some 1,500 years later, it was said this verse became his highway to heaven. Luther said this, and I quote, When by the Spirit of God I understood these words, the just shall live by faith, then I felt born again like a new man. I entered through the open doors into the very paradise of God. This is a text that changed the world, but it's a whole other sermon to be preached, and maybe we will address that again at another time. But Habakkuk, in all of his confusion, is realizing when things don't go as planned, when things don't make sense, when you're living in strange days, you're going to have to live in a different kind of a way. So what do you do when you're being told that you can't go to work? That you can't operate your business during this pandemic? That you have to wear a mask when you come to church? The just shall live by faith. What do you do when your country has, remo has removed God and all biblical principles and standards from everything that they do? The just shall live by faith. What do you do when anarchy and rioting and, 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 and looting is now perceived as an acceptable solution in our country. The just shall live by faith. What do you do when you are falsely accused or even put to death because you wear the title of a follower of Christ, a Christian? The just shall live by faith. Habakkuk realized that we must live by faith while waiting for Babylon to be judged. And it is a lesson that we need to learn while we are waiting for our Babylon to be judged. So chapter 2 describes how and why God is going to one day cut Babylon down. He makes clear that this mighty empire is going to be brought down to her knees and utterly destroyed. And we know this because God conveys his message through five woes, W-O-E-S, that are found in verse 6, verse 9, verse 12, verse 15, and verse 19. In the Bible, whenever you see that word woe, being used, it's never a good thing. Those five woes serve as a formal indictment against Babylon. 
And the first woe is this, it's extortion. Look at verse six. Woe to him who piles up stolen goods. That perfectly describes the Babylonians when they took a city, they plundered its silver and its gold, they took the crops, they took the livestock, they carried anything off that was of value. They grew rich through the misery of others. But God promised judgment one day that Babylon was going down. In fact, he tells Babylon in Habakkuk 2, verses 7 and 8, then you will become their prey because you have plundered many nations. The peoples who are left will plunder you. They got away with it for a long time because no one dared to stand up against them. But God saw every bit of it happen, and in due time, he would balance out the scales of justice. The second woe is arrogance. Look at verse 9. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. This refers in part to the walls of Babylon, that in some places was 100 feet high, stretching out 40 miles around the city. The Babylonians thought that they were invulnerable to outside attack. They believed that no one could penetrate the walls of their city. But look what it says in Habakkuk 2 verse 11. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Many years later, Belshazzar, who was the last king of Babylon, would give a grand banquet that turned into a, a drunken orgy. That's what is, is what is described in the Bible. In fact, if you'll read Daniel chapter 5, you'll find out that this very banquet was interrupted when all of a sudden a hand with fingers appears writing a message on the wall. In essence, the story goes that Babylon had been weighed on the scales of justice and found wanting. Now the kingdom would later be taken away from Babylon and divided between the Medes and the Persians. And on that very night, King Belshazzar died and the kingdom collapsed and mighty Babylon was no more. The third woe is bloodshed. Look at verse 12. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. God hates those who build empires on bloodshed. And obviously this applies to nations who are mighty and who conquer the weak and the defenseless. And it really makes me wonder what God would say about a nation like ours that murders its unborn. I believe that this woe applies to much, as much to us today as it did to ancient Babylon. But in the midst of these words of judgment comes a glimpse of a happier and a better day. Look at verse 14. But the earth will be covered with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Here God pulls back the curtain and he gives us a glimpse of what the world will be when Jesus returns. There's coming a time, ladies and gentlemen, when the earth will be filled and Jesus will return to the earth that rejected him. And he will not be returning with the knowledge of bloodshed or the knowledge of perversity or the knowledge of immorality or the knowledge of injustice or the knowledge of greed. God intends to fill the whole earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, just like the waters covering the sea. And it's very significant 
that he mentions the earth here because when he says that, he literally means it. He's talking about this ball of earth that you and I live on, that same earth that had no room for the Son of God, that mocked his words and that doubted his character, that refused to believe that he was the Messiah, that, that falsely accused him and let a guilty man go free in his place. The earth, the same earth that hated what he stood for, that accused him of being in the league with the devil. The same earth that beat him without mercy, that made him carry his own cross to the place of his execution, that crucified him between two thieves and watched him die in agony. God intends to bring his son back to this earth, back to the same world that rejected him the first time round. And on that day, the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We are not there yet, but that day is coming. There is a day when injustice and, and violence and terror and, and threats and abuse and pornography and divorce and abortion and perversion and liars and blasphemers are all gone. A vision of a better day is coming. Not to some other world, but to the world in which we live. It's hard to believe this today because we have a world that is so filled with all of those things that I just mentioned. We see cruelty and killing going on all around us and we long for a better day. But one day this, will, this world will be pristine and it will be beautiful again. And I don't know about you, but particularly of late, I find myself saying, come now, Lord Jesus, come now. Well, the fourth woe is immorality. Look at verse 15. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring from the wineskin till they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. What I'm about to say to you, I believe with my whole heart and I have no intention of sugarcoating it because here you find God's condemnation for those who use alcohol as a tool of seduction for immoral purposes. We all know that alcohol changes a person's behavior. A person under the influence of alcohol will do things they don't normally do and will say things that they would not normally say. Alcohol removes all of our inhibitions. Think about it, what would Las Vegas or a frat party be like without booze? In this scripture, God promises judgment on those who use alcohol as a tool to lead other people into immorality. You can justify it in your own mind, but God will not be fooled. Once you entice another person to drink so that they will lower their standards, then you come up against Almighty God himself. This is the woe that he's warning against here. In fact, Habakkuk 2.16 gives us God's response. Again, he's talking to Babylon here. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you. A disgrace will cover your glory. In other words, what goes around comes around. It was, Martin, it was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who said this, the moral arc of the universe is long but it bends towards justice. Babylon used alcohol for illicit purposes, and that's one of the reasons, but another reason that God brought them down. And here's the fifth woe. 
idolatry. Look at verse 19. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. This speaks of the idiocy of idolatry. Who in their right mind would believe praying to a lifeless stone could make any kind of a difference? Pray to all the stones you want, bow before a wooden altar, work yourself up into some kind of a crazy frenzy, say all the incantations you want to your God of metal or stone or wood or money, but understand idol worship is a complete waste of time. It will do you no good. Your prayers will go unanswered. Your idols have no life. The wood cannot hear and the stone cannot speak. If your idol is money, ultimately your money has no power. Besides all of the other points against idol worship, here's the biggest one. It is a complete and total waste of your time. So after all of these woes, God's indictment of the Babylonians ends this way in Habakkuk 2, verse 20. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. This is kind of like one of those mic drop moments where the speaker drops the mic and simply walk, walks off the stage. He's saying, enough said. Some churches use that as a call to worship, but it's more like a call to judgment. The verb be silent really means nothing more than to just hush, to be still. God looks at all the nations and their continual clamoring, and he says, be quiet now. I'm about ready to judge the earth. And it's certainly a final fitting word from our Lord. It's as if he's saying, Habakkuk, do you get it now? I will judge Babylon in my own, Babylon in my own time and in my own way. Their downfall is certain because I decreed it. So hush with all your complaints. I have given you my answer. Now will you just accept it and will you believe it? So in 605 BC, Babylon looked invincible. Less than a century later, 70 years later, the empire had completely disappeared. And God made good on his promise. It was done in his time. It was done in his way. Make no mistake about it, ladies and gentlemen, God is a good God, and he is always faithful to his word. You can count on it. But let's be honest among ourselves this morning. Waiting is hard. You ever been there? Waiting is difficult. Because while waiting, it becomes easy for us to fall into despair. It becomes much easier for us to lose our equilibrium. It becomes very easy for us to doubt what it is that God is doing behind the scenes. But God is asking all of us today, will you wait for me? Will you wait for what I have yet to do? You see, our world says, don't just stand there, do something. And God says just the opposite. Don't do something, just stand there and be still and be quiet. Babylon looked good in all of its glory. Babylon always looked good until it was no more. I don't know if you remember back not too long ago, you heard this statement spoken very often. You don't want to be on the wrong side of history. 
you know where that came very, very prevalent? A few years back, there were a lot of talking heads that were using those words as a great push to redefine marriage. Do you remember that? The tidal wave of support for homosexual marriage was like a tsunami. So much so that we even have Christians in the church today who have lost confidence in what God's Word says about marriage being between one man and one woman. They've been deceived. But let me just say something about history. History is God's story. And while no one wants to be on the wrong side of history, and while no one wants to be perceived as a narrow-minded bigot, and while no one wants to be singled out for their ridicule, I don't know about you, but my desire is to be on the right side of history. So let me remind you again that history is God's story. It's the outstanding work of God for the human race and the plan that he has for us. It is the right side of history. The right side is always God's side. It is never determined by the latest Gallup poll. It is never determined by some decree made by the Supreme Court of the United States of America. And for certain, it is not determined by some stupid political party. It's not. Those who line up with the cultural forces in our world today will find themselves out of step with God tomorrow. That is the whole point of the second chapter of Habakkuk. You can side with Babylon and you can win in the short term, or you can take sides with God and you can win eternally. So whose side are you on? Are you on Team Jesus? Or are you on Team Babylon? It seems like a lot of us want to live on both teams, and you can't do that. You've got to make a choice. Right now, Team Babylon seems to be winning the game. It largely controls the media. It controls Hollywood, the entertainment industry, the major universities, and the halls of power of government. Team Babylon holds a great influence over our world today and over our culture. Team Babylon has a, has a huge recruiting budget. To put it into football terms, they keep signing five-star recruits because they make such an attractive pitch to the athlete. That's why so many of our young people flee to Team Babylon, because that's where the action seems to be. Many Christians are even drawn to the lights and the sounds and all the bling that goes along with being on Team Babylon. Again, using football terms, it seems like we are in the fourth quarter and we are four touchdowns down. And in addition to that, we are going up against Pittsburgh's iron steel, def iron curtain defense that from 1976. That's what it seems like sometimes. It can seem overwhelming. Maybe so. But the game ain't over until it's over. It isn't. And thank you for amending that because that's the truth. The only score that matters is the final score. And please never forget that the final score has already been predetermined by God. Why do we not trust in that? Why do we walk around in such great fear and anxiety when we know how the story ends? If you think this world is going to last forever, then you go ahead and you join Team Babylon, and you'll have a front row seat when it all comes crashing down. 
But if you believe God's word is true, if you believe in his promises, if you believe in his son, Jesus Christ, then join Team Jesus. And 10,000 years from now, while standing in the presence of Almighty God in eternity, you'll be so glad that you did. Amen? Scott, will you come forward and help me to close this down? It's time to make another life choice. Whose side are you on? Let me personally say for the record, I'll say like Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The just shall live by faith. That's what Habakkuk did. That's what God is calling us to do today. When things don't make sense to you, when you've been confused, when things don't fit into your master plan, you've got to begin to live by faith. Babylon's everywhere. And if, and if you have a weak faith and you can't seem to wait upon the Lord, well, let me tell you something. Babylon is going to consume you in short order. But remember, Babylon will come to an end. This world as we know it's going to come to an end. And likewise, your circumstances that you're dealing with right now that you can't understand, they're going to come to an end as well. So understand, when you don't get God, and when things don't make sense, when the answer that comes back is not what you wanted, you must still learn to live by faith. In fact, it is the only way that you can live because the alternative is Babylon. And one day, as I've said three, four times now, Babylon will no longer exist. You see, God's plan did not initially make sense to old Habakkuk. But when God gave him an inside look at his plan, and he, through his understanding, it made sense. Did it mean that everything was going to be peachy keen for him tomorrow? No. In fact, it took 70 years. We don't even know if, if he lived long enough to see the fall of Babylon. He may very well have died long before that. But it was promised to him by God, and he trusted and he believed in God's promise, and that was good enough because he trusted the character and he trusted the goodness of our good, good father that we sang about. And that's a place where every one of us needs to get to. Maybe you're here this morning or you're watching online and, and you're struggling. Things are going on in your life that, that you just don't understand. You're discouraged. And maybe you even feel like that, that God's been absent from your situation. Can I just say to you, he has never been absent. He's been there all along. He, you've just kind of sidestepped him. Maybe it's out of fear. Maybe it's out of hurt. Maybe it's out of fear of what he might ask of you. I don't know. But you've kind of put God off to the side while he's waiting patiently for you to reach out to him to reconnect. And today is your time to do that. Maybe you're angry with God. Maybe things haven't turned out like you planned. Maybe you've lost somebody who's really, really close to you. Maybe you failed at something that was really important to you. Well, join the team. Maybe you build up a, a wall and a fence towards God. Well, he's here today. And just like he did with Habakkuk, he's here to answer your questions and your concerns. There's others of you that are here or watching online. You've chosen sides. And sadly, you've chosen to live in Babylon. You've never made a commitment to Christ to ask him to be the Lord of your life, to live that narrow path. You've chosen to take the easy road. 
Can I just say, just like with Babylon, it is a road that is going to lead to your ultimate destruction. God is calling you to a new place. He is calling you to a new purpose with an entirely new outlook. And he is here today to forgive you, to bring you into the family of God, because it was in that it is within the family of God where you will find your real purpose, your real reason for existence, for being alive. And the Bible says, in order to become a part of the family of God, you need to receive salvation. It is a gift from God. And it says to be saved, to receive salvation, you must believe and you must confess. You must believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. And that he came to this earth and he walked among us as a man. And he taught us the ways of God. And he died a horrific death on the cross so that you could have life, so that his shed blood could atone for your sin. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us of all sin. We also thank you for the truth found in your word. There's story after story after story of people who have had to deal with circumstances much worse than what we've had to. And Father, you always made a way. I pray that we would become a people who trust you completely in all things that we would not allow the things going on in the world around us or the things that may rise up in our flesh to take precedence over what we know to be true about you, that you are a good father, that you love us, that you care for us, and that our destination has already been determined. Lord, you, you planned that a long time ago. This all ends the way that you want it to, Lord. Let us trust and believe in that. And when Babylon starts to look attractive to us and we start to allow our guard down and we start to let the world infiltrate what we think and what we believe, Lord, we would quickly understand that that is a tactic of the enemy and that we will come back under your covering completely and not be led by the ways of this world, but be led by the word of God. Lord, I thank you for my church family. I thank you for their faithfulness to this place. I thank you for those that are here in person those who are faithfully watching online. I ask your blessings upon them and their families. I pray that you would meet the needs that they have. I pray that you would take away fears and concerns and instead fill them with peace and confidence of who you are and that you are in control of all things. And I ask as we go our separate ways today throughout this week that we would be beacons of light to a very dark world, that we would not be afraid to share the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ with others who so desperately need them so that we can help to bring them into the kingdom of light and out of the kingdom of darkness in Babylon. So God, help us to be warriors. Help us to be soldiers in the battle that you have called us to become. Let us be a force of good in this earth. Let us speak uplifting things to one another. Let us encourage one another. Let us encourage those who are down and allow your love to shine in and through us in all circumstances. So God, as we go our separate ways, I pray that you'll keep us safe. You will keep us strong. You will keep us focused on you and who you are and your power and your love and your mercy for us and that that will sustain us every moment of every day, that we can live daily in perfect peace because we serve a perfect Lord. Thank you for this time together. I ask you to bless us and keep us safe until we gather together again. And I ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you for being here. God bless you.